Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Grav, and welcome to another episode of the Ripper on Reds podcast. I'm joined, as ever, by my not-naked colleague, uh, Jace. How are we doing <laughs> on this fine Sunday evening, Jace? Oh, I'm good, mate. I had a lovely day. Uh, play football. Sunday league football, style football. On a Sunday? A boggy, like, November, wet, dismal, uh, studgy kind of pitch for like 90 minutes i did the whole 90 as well up and down oh well now it doesn't I'm, sound I'm like it. A, it's a game made for you that that pitch doesn't sound but did, did you do all right five goals one assist one six three i mean that is uh sunday league at its best that is <laughs> standard was you know um i mean if you're banging in five the standard's got to be high right it's got to be high. <laughs> no I'm a, bit je- I'm a bit jealous now what, what, which yeah. uh it was it was it just boggy was it drenched was it was it raining as well or did you have a it wasn't it, no it was like it was like no it was completely overcast and 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 a dreary day but it wasn't actually chucking it down it was more like very timid rain and but the pitch oh. was like proper proper boggy covered in mud plastered reminds me of when i did play sunday league about 10 years ago so and probably why you don't play uh, anymore <laughs> yeah exactly did uh how was your Sunday? Did you did you catch the the, the Chelsea Man City game this afternoon? I did. Prime Barclays, Prime Barclays. What a game! Uh, and obviously, it's uh, it's really great to know that you know we're going to get more of that. Oh no, we're not. It's another international break. Um, absolutely fantastic. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was nice to see them take points off each other. Uh, crazy to also think that the next game for Man City is Man City Liverpool after the international break, which is another yeah, tasty fixture. No. So that, you know there could be a chance that. We go, we go top, um, and it's. If you look at that table now. I think there's five points separating first and fifth or sixth with with Villa, um, Man City, Liverpool, Spurs. It is really tight, really tight at the top. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, anyway, we're we're on course. We're on course. We're on course. We okay. They did say okay. on the commentary that we're we're four points adrift from our our tally last season, but you know, oh. he's splitting those hairs. Right. You know me at this. I love a stat. I love a stat. Anyway, right. We're going to get into today's episode. Arsenal won comfortably against Burnley. We're going to talk about Trossard. We're going to talk about the defence. We're also going to talk about Kai Havertz, of course, because why wouldn't it be a Rip Rumors podcast if we didn't? Uh, I did check the stats. 80% of you who watch these videos are not subscribing. So before I get that music on, make sure you do subscribe. Make sure you do like. And I'm going to whack that music and we'll get straight into the show. Right, going to start this show like we start every single show. It's the Rip Run Review. Going to hand over to Jace, as always. Uh, what have you got in store for us this week, Jace? Uh I'm going to be quick, short and sweet. Zinni redemption. Zinni redemption. I know you want to talk about the the defensive fluidity we showed in this game, so I won't go too deep. But I was just really, really happy to see uh, a really composed and and mature performance from Zinni, which we haven't 
we haven't seen it was like it reminded me of last season's Zinni. That's all I say. It really did. He was controlling elements of the game. He was he was coming into it was coming into the kind of into the midfield inverted role that he likes to do, but without the frailty of his defensive errors. Um, and that was really nice to see. There was one time I caught him sleeping in the first half because I was he was he was sat in front of me. I was sat in the clock end on the lower on the lower deck. And um he let there was one chance, I think, where where there was a it was a free ball and the defender got behind. And, and to be fair, it would have been a difficult one to mark anyway. Um so I wasn't holding him up too much for being responsible for that. But apart from that, some really good challenges. Um, he wasn't being beaten by his man, just his redemption. You know, we've been criticising him. We've been saying Tommy's the one, Tommy's in now. Um, but yeah, he'd had a really good performance and I'm really happy to see it. Is, is Ben White injured? Because obviously Tommy went right back. Or was he just rest? Um, so Arteta said that they'd been noticing something for the last few weeks, but Ben White is fairly stum. He doesn't talk... Uh, already comment on his injuries with the medical staff. He keeps quiet because he always wants to play. Um, but uh, yesterday, well, not yesterday, it would have been Friday in training. I think he mentioned something. And if he's mentioning it, then it's clearly not great. So the medical staff took the precautions to leave him out. And then obviously he's got the international break now for recovery for two weeks. So we don't play until now until Brentford on the twenty. Fifth, sixth, fifth, sixth. Yeah, one of those. Two. Um. So, yeah. Um. I think I, they haven't mentioned the details of it. Hopefully, it's nothing too serious. And he's just, you know, he's played a lot of games this year, so he needs the rest anyway. Um. He, I, it was meant to be less, I think, with Timber, but the fact that we do not have Timber means that he has been playing as many games as he was last year. He's got all those minutes in his legs, and he needs some downtime. So, well deserved and. The right call, I think, based on the performance. Yep. Yeah. So, go on. Rip Roar and Review for Greville. What is it? Uh, I, I think I was saying just before we came on the air, I had a lovely analogy in my head that I felt as I wrote it down, it started to get worse and worse, but I'm going to try it anyway. Um, when you go out for a big meal, you know, you're usually thinking, well, at least I am. Uh, three courses is where I'm heading. Um, and if I look back at the last kind of week and a bit, uh, Newcastle was an absolutely horrible starter. Um, it was something with fish in it that I just don't want to eat, and it just wasn't great. And from that, usually a, a starter is a, an indication for where the rest of that meal is going to head. And if you've got a bad starter, you know, it's usually going to lead to something worse down the line. And I, I really do think that the severe game in midweek was a bit of an amuse-bouche, you know, a bit of a palate cleanser, something that really did set ourselves up and maybe was a little bit unexpected from that, that performance that we had. So 2-0 against Sevilla was a, maybe it could have been like a, a steak, you know, a ribeye, something good, some, something meaty that really got me excited for, for the weekend ahead because we were playing a Burnley side and both me and you talked about this on the previous pod. It's Burnley. They haven't been that good. I don't think that even company's style of football that he employed in the championship is translated as well as maybe he thought it might have. And it's certainly being 
not found out because obviously the, the, the style of football we played, it certainly wasn't Deutsch ball, put it that way. Um, and it was much more fluid and interesting and dynamic than anything that Sean Deitch plays. But it certainly isn't. He's not able to employ it as well as he might like to, considering the opposition. And so the game against Burnley was a, a New York style cheesecake for me. Something really, really nice. And it's how you leave them. Right, Jay. So how I left this week was a big rosy smile on my face looking at that table, particularly with uh, how the rest of the results have gone um, across the weekend. You know, Spurs losing in dramatic fashion um Chelsea and Man City taking points off each other yes Liverpool won and I think that they are starting to hit a better their stride um for sure but you know overall I think if I look at this meal that I just ate I don't care about the starter anymore all I care about is that I had a lovely main and a lovely dessert so I'm a happy Arsenal boy heading into a bunch of games now where I feel we can bank a lot of points and we did say we'd gone a bit of a run and hopefully this is the way to kick start it well, uh, yeah, I agree. Um, and yeah, who cares about the... Well, come on, Grev. Like, we had a conversation about this the other day. You do care about starters. Of course I care you, about starters. I care about all the meals. Care about <laughs> for, for context, Grev, if we ever, you ever gave him a meal, Grev, he doesn't want to share a starter with you. He doesn't want that kind of, oh, let's order all the starters and share them. No, he wants his own because he wants to make sure he's going to like it. And as he just said, don't order fish. You will frown upon fish. Um... <laughs> I forget how much but, uh, my psyche bleeds into our conversations, Jace. I really do. Oh, uh, it just made me laugh, mate. Um, it was it's a good been a good end to the week from the performance-wise. I think the only thing to say about uh the Burnley game you mentioned, like Burnley are not that bad. Like they actually they played it, they tried to play it out from the back, and at times they did play it out from the back. There was a few times they broke our press and um and they caused us a lot of problems. I personally still think, like my league prediction at the beginning of the season, I think they're too good to go down. Um, the problem with what companies trying to do there is a very similar in a similar analogy to maybe Arteta when he started. Like, you know, Arteta ball needed to start from the moment Arteta walked through a door and he didn't have the right players for it. I think in the championship you can play that and win games and get into the Premier League because it's the championship. If you don't have the right caliber player and you try and play it in the Premier League against teams that already play it and play it well, you get found out. And that's the problem that he's got with that Burnley side, which is quite interesting. I think they're a good side. I still think they're better than Luton. They're definitely better than Sheffield United. Um, Bournemouth's the interesting one. But I, I personally would like to see Burnley stay up. I, 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 I've got a little bit of a soft spot for Vincent Company as a manager a little bit. I don't know why. But... Um, yeah, uh, they were they weren't that bad, um, but still, uh, for me it was a it was a uh, cheesecake factory uh, cinnamon roll cheesecake. <laughs> I, uh, I think I'd go for the carrot cake one was my uh, favourite. Um, right, we're going to go a bit of another play on words for the next segment. Uh, the segment is called Trust the Process. So obviously, uh, a little bit of a play on words from uh, Trust the Process that always goes and banded around between Arsenal fans. But obviously, the boy, the man of the moment during this game, goal and assist, was Leandro Trossard. I imagine, Jace, that the person that you want to speak about first. Yeah, I mean, I had the luxury of being quite close for his goal. Um, I think on, in the first half, he was... He was a catalyst in the first half for me, I felt. Um, he he was the most prominent attacker. He was causing them problems. He generated some good chances and some good opportunities for others. Um, it was the effort 
you know, I, he's a small guy. You know, he he. We talked about him being a little bit like Messi in regards to like uh like that kind of a, ability to turn on the ball in more kind of low center of gravity. But when a ball's coming across in the box to get up and put yourself in for it is is difficult. He committed. Um, I I didn't actually hear this, and I was very close to the goal. Uh, you know, I, I saw him take the full whack onto the onto the post, but I didn't hear. I watched the replay, and I heard the the, oh, the loud, smash. It's a loud old smash, yeah. The loud smash of his. I don't know if it was head, arm, shoulder, shoulder hip. Couldn't quite tell. Shoulder. Yeah, because he came off um, when he walked off. We didn't think he was coming back on because he was literally holding his arm. For anyone who's listening, I'm basically imitating holding my elbow, but. He was holding his arm, walking off in quite an uncomfortable-looking position. But as soon as he got back round to the centre uh, by the bench, he was he was back on and running again. Um, but it was the commitment and the desire to, to 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 do what was necessary and put himself in harm's way to get the goal. Can't comp- brilliant, brilliant performance. Um, and I think he is last two games definitely stepped up absolutely stepped up where we need to he always he does that if you start i think we've we've talked about this before we said if you start him he doesn't play well no but if we, if we start him and there's competition like jesus or eddie he doesn't play well but if, if he if we need him and it's just him he doesn't do you know he, it's he just, maybe he pressure or something like that i don't know i don't know it, it's weird right there's, there's no pressure on him against Burnley because there's no one else that it could have come on. I mean, Eddie was not fit enough. Jesus is mm. injured still. And it's just like, so there's no pressure. And when that pressure is on, like preseason, no pressure on his shoulders and the performances he put in preseason are amazing. The yeah. the, the goal, uh, he finished off that ball from Saka lovely against Sevilla. Um, I, I just love to see him play like that because that's, you know, he's, what someone was saying, it's like 600 minutes uh, it's like uh yeah about 600 minutes this season and um I think he has a return eight, eight goals five or something like that I'd like every yeah, seven minutes to get a return it's a, look uh, sorry my stats are pulling Greg you're the stat man over me but um just a really good return that we get from him and considering most of his minutes are coming off the bench uh astute brilliant piece of um of uh, I was going to say, which is a great signing, really. But uh, whoever did the scouting, that was the word I was in for. The scouting has done, did a great job with Trossard. I think that was, uh, you know, I'm, I'm much happier with him than having Mudrick. Uh, mm. yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I'm going to ask you a question, though. Does Trossard keep his place when he comes back after the international break? Uh, depends, doesn't it? I guess on the the fitness levels of Jesus, I don't think he's meant to be back. Although that I've I've read somewhere online that there's talk of him going over to Brazil because the Brazilian national team don't believe that he's actually injured or something along these lines. We talked in previous pods about learning the dark arts. Mikel needs to probably brush up. Um, so we'll we'll see. I think if Jesus is fit, actually, I think if either of them are fit, because Arteta does have a really heavy lot of investment in Nketiah. When he is fit, if he's fit and Jesus isn't playing, he starts pretty much like nine times out of 10. So I don't think so. I don't think so. 
Um, not to say he doesn't deserve it, but I just I, I feel that Arteta just prefers. And we, we've never we've never really seen him employ Trossard very much in that position, nor have we seen him play Havertz in that position. I don't think he is fully invested in a false nine. If I'm honest, I think he he does want your out and out kind of um, striker. Um, so yeah, that was where I would I would head. But I agree with everything that you said about Trossard. Um, really good effort. Really brave. Incredibly brave of him to go for that header and kind of attack it with as much force as he did and put his body on the line. I would say as much as of the game that I saw, so I probably saw about 70 minutes of it, and everything was going down that left-hand side. Everything was going through a combination of Trossard, Martinelli, Zinchenko. Um, you know, 70 to 80% of what I saw was going through those players. There wasn't a great deal going through Saka. Oh, it's gone. You, you, you probably saw it I and you have a different view of the game than me. Yeah, I saw it a little differently, especially in the first half. Um, because I felt we were more actually had we were more attacking threat. Really, I mean, I felt in the first half. After, that's probably where my difference of opinion comes from. <laughs> that's fair enough. Um, I, I felt Saka was great in the first half, causing a lot of problems. You're right, there was that combination played between Trossard and Martinelli. I think for for me, Trossard stood out as the better. Um, it's almost like Burnley had watched the Sevilla game and gone right, Martinelli double up because there was two people on him every time, and he did not have that same space to exploit round the back to get to the byline and, and go in where he can get close to the goal and then cut back. That wasn't happening. Instead of kind of going to the byline and doing the cutback. And getting his kind of you know sprinting and using his pace to take players on and 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 get as close as he can towards goal before cutting back. Instead, what he was doing is he was having to switch over to his his alternate foot and then either pass it back to someone who would whip it into the box, or was having to try and find another way and go back around the box and and then maybe flip it over to the other side of the pitch. Like we had to build up the start the build up play again. He wasn't having as much. Success and and I think that that's uh, I was a little disappointed by that because he was so good against Sevilla, and I just feel the right back at Burnley was quick. He was he was um, physical, and I think that if you've got someone who's quick and physical, Martinelli struggles still because he's not actually as he's very skinny still. Like he's, he needs to bulk a little bit. He needs to. I think he might lose. So, yeah, he's really pacey, right? And then partly, I think he why he's pace. so pacey is because yeah, you've got to balance those two things out. Yeah, and and so that's the challenge for me is like Gabby is so good, but he needs to be able to be, you know, I Trent Alexander Arnold, uh, uh, a Reese James, um, anyone, a Carl Walker, anyone. I would say a lot with our pace. Yeah, I mean, a lot of our defensive issue is, is difficult, though, right? Because our, our defenders never really overlap in right and left back. In, in allowing that pace and kind of helping out. Well, yeah, and I mean, we, we've said it before with Ben White, does it with Saka and it does work. But in reality, they're very few and far between now. That's the kind of way Tier- we play. Tierney and Martinelli used to play quite well together because he used to mm. overlap a lot, Tierney did. But that was back in the day when we used to whip lots of balls in, and we don't have a we don't have the strikers or the. I mean, maybe we could put Kai Havertz in there, but I mean, I saw how that went and, uh, with a couple <laughs> of headers. It wasn't great. Um, yeah, so I, I think you know from the attacking threat, like 
Martinelli doubled up on. Saka, a lot more causing them a lot more problems, a lot more creative freedom. He was he was um he was creating chances. Um he hit the bar right in front of us as well, from a from a chance that it kind of hit you know, even the defender got uh won the ball back, they then lost it again, and that was all through the chances that he created. So mm-hmm. yeah, uh, we're 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 not at our we're in third gear, right? If we if we're talking about gears, we're we're, we're, we are doing what is needed to be done. And at some point, we're just going to... We think we've been saying this all year. It's just a different... We're just taking a different approach to the season. And that's okay, as long as we're getting the points in. It's those yep. disappointing tool draws that we've been having and things like that. I think all of our draws yeah, are right. tool, tool draws. Yeah, Fulham one for sure. But I suppose you look yeah. at Stamford Bridge re- result now and you kind of look at it. Oh, I think yeah. Tottenham drawing points there... Man City drop points there. You know, I'm really happy that we've got that game out of the way, and they they seem to have found a new uh, lease of life uh, at home, especially. Um, they're still yeah. relatively all over the place, but you know, looking at that game today, I'm kind of glad we got ours out of the way. Yeah, agreed, agreed. No, um, right. Let me move on. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the de- defensive uh, fluidity. Uh, myself and Jay have talked a lot on this podcast in the past of the. Uh, the combinations that we can play at the back, the variety of different players in a variety of different positions. Um, and we had uh, that at play today. Tommy Yasu went back to his, what would commonly be known as his normal position for Arsenal before he started to play at left back. And then Zinni was back in the left back position. The two centre-backs as, as normal in Saliba and Gabriel and then Raya at the back uh, between the sticks. Uh, Jace, who do you think stood out to you most out of this performance? I think... Uh, there's a Rolls Royce style player that you're probably going to call out. Uh, who is it? Oh, my guy, uh, Willow, Big Saliba, uh, Rolls Royce performance. It's these kind of games are too easy for him, man. They're just too easy. He's a level above. He's a couple of levels above Burnley. No offense to Burnley. Um, he controlled the back line. He was very calm. He was very composed. He was able to win challenges, some quick feet, finding lovely passes, just and the goal to top it off. You know, he got himself, he went inside the goal, back round, came back out, stood in front of the keeper, put, you know, completely blocked the keeper's, you know, view from getting the ball and just jumped up and just kind of nodded it down into it straight into the net. He was obviously very close to the goal when the ball came in, but, you know, the header and the goal tops it off. It's nice to see him scoring. Just a, a superb performance. I, 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 I'm happy that there are quite a few people that still underrate him. Genuinely, are who is underrating? Who well, is underrating? He's not even getting in. He's not even getting in the starting lineup for France. But isn't it? Doesn't he? That's like he, is it? Is there falling out? He just doesn't believe. Oh, what I don't know. I don't. I don't care either. Like, let him be underrated. I, he. I, I know that he is. Virgil van Dijk Mark II and he's 21-22 he's got many years left ahead of him he's ours, he signed a long term contract um, yeah like I'm just so happy I I, I loved him from I, I, I've had a big thing as we know like from the moment we signed him I've been watching him a lot and I'm glad that he saw what the team and the club were trying to do for his career development and putting him back out on loan and slowly bigger teams, you know, in the French league and getting him to a level where he can get 
enough maturity and experience to start for Arsenal straight away in the Premier League. I think that was actually the better way to do it. I think coming into an Arsenal team really young in his career and maybe having made a few mistakes as you all, you know, I think Wenger said have said this, you 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 always said you can always play players on the wings and up front, young players, but you can't play young players at centre-back because they'll make mistakes, um, which is quite an interesting thing he used to say. And I think it was like, that's a perfect example of what we did with Saliba. Let him make his mistakes somewhere else. Uh, and then, then we take him when he's ready, and that's what we did. And it may have looked concerning for us fans from the far reach. We bought, spent all this money and haven't played the guy. It was probably concerning for Saliba. I signed to come to Arsenal. We supported Arsenal as a kid, and he wasn't getting the opportunity. Um, but it all came right in the end, and and I'm I'm so happy. I I, I he's my favourite player. I think in the squad by. Uh, it's a defender's my favourite player. Sorry, I'm I'm good. This isn't the Saliba podcast. I can do another Saliba podcast. It's okay. <laughs> talk to me about uh, about Zinni. Then I know you want to talk about Zinni. Yeah, I do. Um, but before before I do, I, I just want to say like I agree with everything you, you've said. Saliba, it's incredible to think that he plays for us. I, I really do hope he signs beyond the deal that he's got currently. Because I think if we get ten years out of Big Bill Saliba. Um, at the level he plays at, we've got great things ahead of us. You know, it's important for us to have a player of his caliber uh, in our team. I like the fact as well, like this this guy, I swear sometimes, right, it will just lose the ball on purpose just so he can recover it. I've seen him make this pass, like a, a wayward pass or something like that, where the defender comes through and he's like, you know what, I'm going to chase after him and slide tackle. And it's those kind of slide tackles that other players at Arsenal you've seen doing, you're like, well, that's going to be a penalty. Like your heart's in your mouth, it's gonna happen exactly. You're just like, well, he's gonna clatter him. And Saliba's he has such gangly, uh, team from Street Fighter style legs that just seem to hook the ball. And oh man, I'm, I'm with you. I'm uh, you know, I think you've said it before, Jason. Oozing was the word, uh, that you mm. used on a pre- previous pod. Uh, both uh, big Sil- Bill Saliba's got us both oozing, uh, with excitement. Um, yeah, Zinni, I think you said it a little bit at the start, just to kind of say like he defensively, this is kind of uh, maybe his level defensively. And that's fine. Like I say, I don't, and I, I said it's good to be able to rotate in and out these players and not have to feel that we always have to play Ben White at right back and always have to play Tommy Yasuo at left back or Timber when he's back. Um, we can look at some of these games as an opportunity to cycle in a Kiwi or, or a Zinchenko. And, you know, Zinchenko also got a goal as well. Proper proper Daniel Russo-style uh, karate kid kick. Um, unexpected, uh, I think, even for him. Uh, show the love that he was showing for his, uh, I'm guessing, his wife and uh, daughter in the crowd afterwards. It's great just to see him. Because uh, there was one thing that I did kind of take away from this game a few times, was that the 12th man, last season we had a real 12th man in our crowd. And I saw a couple of times, particularly Zinchenko, because he's been known for this, where he tries to rile up the crowd and he, yeah, you know, he's, he did it. he's raising his arms. He's trying to get the crowd engaged in the game. Um, and he obviously feeds off the energy of the crowd. And when the crowd is behind him and they're singing Zinchenko to Spandau Ballet, um, it really does kind of egg him on a little bit. And I, I just really nice to kind of see him start to come into his own and, and be able to not feel as though, I mean, I don't think he's going to be putting in front of Liverpool at Anfield when we get there, for example. But, you know, we're playing Brentford. He can easily play Brentford. We're playing Wolves. He can easily play Wolves. 
um, although Wolves just did uh, Spurs in the last seven minutes of the game. Um, so, yeah, I'm just happy. I just want to comment on that. The roar around, like, I, we were walking, we were by the Tolly, in between the Tolly and the Emirates, about halfway between. And the only way I knew Spurs was that in the second was because there was just <laughs> a roar like we'd scored a goal on the ground. It was that loud. It was brilliant. Well, I thought there was a, a clip of um, people watching the TV in the concourse at the Emirates, and they, that was going off. You know, that's half an hour before we kick off, kind of thing, and it was it was going yeah. off. So, yeah, it sounds like it was really good. Yeah, it was brilliant. Um, did you want to talk about David Raya? Because I did see some some good saves from him this game. Yeah, I mean, I just a shout out. He, you know, uh, he was very unlucky to not have another clean sheet. I think actually, I think we talk about we. I'm hoping the Ramsdale Raya debate's kind of gone now because he's actually had so many clean sheets since he's been in. Another superb performance from him, to be honest. Didn't make any mistakes. He was controlled. Knew when to do long, go long. Knew when to play short. Um, he made a couple of... He made two or three really important saves, I think, in the first half that would have put us under pressure. Um, and so Jed just did his job really well, which is a note I made. Uh, I'm really unlucky for the equaliser, the deflection. Um, I think he'd have got it else. And so I was a bit gutted that he didn't get another clean sheet, but that was good. The other thing on defensive fluidity, uh, Kibio got a few minutes. Um, you probably wouldn't have seen this on TV or in a replay, but he's got a bit of jip to him, and I love it. I absolutely love it. He's got a bit of needle. Um, he wouldn't, Him and Jay Rodriguez were, were going at each other. Uh, There's a bit of pushing and shoving, argy-bargy. And I was like, it's just good to see. I'm just... I'm just really. It's just good to see. Like, he's he's not he's not had a really a bad performance for us. I feel confident when he does come in, step in most of the time. Um, obviously, the West Ham game wasn't uh, amazing, but I don't think that necessarily he was majorly at fault for what we did that day. I think the midfield were more the challenge with that West Ham game. Um, so yeah, I, I think he's 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 a great signing for the amount we paid. Um, he's settling in well and I love to see him give it to other teams. Um, there was a bit where they basically, I think they fell over or there was a, there was a little bit of, um, yeah, they just got a bit too close for comfort in the box and it spilled out a bit for a few minutes on and off. They were at each other's throats. It was just like, it's nice to see. You want, you want a bit of that mentality in the team. Yeah, I mean, it's not something that's usually associated with a more modern day Arsenal. You know, when you're, it's no longer your Kians and your Adams. We've had a lot of shrinking violets, so it's nice to see some some cojones, as uh, Troy Deeney would once put it. Um, yeah. I was also going to say, maybe in the ground you might have seen it. Diff- I don't know, so I'm, I'm curious. Um, Tommy Yasu got in front of his man, and then kind of didn't, and then that's what the goal <laughs> that they scored. Uh, the, the goal that they yeah. scored. Um, what did you make of it in the ground? I didn't. It didn't stick out. His actual. It didn't stick out too much to me in the ground. Watching up on back on the replay, I'm like, oh yeah, like that's on him that one. Um, but in the ground where we were, again, the goal was right, right, uh, right in front of us. It didn't look that bad from Tommy. The conclusion I've come to: he's left footed. He's left centre back, and he's been great at left back. So. Maybe he should play right back yeah. anymore. I mean, maybe I, that's yeah. Maybe that's maybe. Timber and White. Maybe that's Timber mm. and White. It's just that Timber's not fit. 
Um, I don't think he was strong enough, basically, I think is what I... A bit of shirt pulling from both players, but ultimately I think he should have been able to stand his ground a bit better than he did. And I think he got his pocket pinched. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose. One, one good thing I have seen Arteta go in there, the uh, press conference, he, he goes, you're not going to ask me about VAR. And the the the, uh, the interviewer was kind of taken aback a little bit. And he was worried about what he was going to say. And he was like, referee was great. VAR was great. Right decisions. Even the Fabio correct decision. He was like, I love it. Make sure you, he said, make sure you get it out on social media that I'm here when you do well, as well as when you do bad, as great managers should, to call out the things and hold people to account when they're not performing and then praising them and doing the right thing when they are. So, honestly, as a as a, a kind of person in a management role in his career, I, I could only aspire to be as good as, as, as what Arteta does in terms of his leadership style and the things that he comes out with. It does really resonate with me. It's because you're a good leader. Did I just say that? Yeah, no. Nice. Tap the patch, tap the patch. Yeah. <laughs> uh yeah, no, he he um you know he's you know, I think uh, he's very astute and, and clever also with yeah. his, his politics, right? He knows what he's doing. Yeah. So. Right. I'm gonna put cool, I'm gonna put my gavel. I don't have a gavel, but if I had a gavel, we'd be banging it on the table because we're gonna go into a big Kai dilemma. We're gonna court is now in session. Um, the thing is, I do think that both me and Jace are probably going to be on the same side of the fence uh, with this one. I'd like to just, I'm going to go, I always go to Jace, so I'm going to go first. Yeah. Uh, why not? Uh, and I'm I'm going to say that I've had enough, basically. Um, I saw this game play out, and I, I, I still cannot see what anybody else is making a case for with Kai Havertz. I, I think they've gone a bit quieter now, for sure. But if I look back like a week or two weeks ago, there was a lot of people going, ah, He's doing the right things. He's getting into good positions. He's he's you know he's winning aerial duels. I think he has a really good aerial duel percentage and kind of does win a lot of uh, balls in the middle of the park. But he still just looks like the game is passing him by. Like he's really lackluster, really lethargic. It's like he's running through treacle. And I'd be I'd be happier if I could see him trying harder and it not coming off. I think that is my problem. And yet, like we've just talked about work a little bit, you'll have people like this in your in your work, right? And I'm sure you've seen it as well, Jace. That you're kind of like you can see some of these people they're trying, and if they're trying, and maybe it's not coming off, or they're unlucky, or things are happening out of their control, they're blocked by doing their work from other dependencies that they're trying to meet. Those things happen, and people are trying. They're trying their best to do the best that they can. With Kai Havertz, I just don't see it. I feel like he's giving fifty percent. You know, I'm not. I didn't pay 32 and a half million. I paid 65 million. So I expect to get that much of an output from a player. And even when you start to see some of the elements of his game that maybe start to look like they could click, there's some intricate passing around the edge of the box. We've seen. There's maybe he had one shot. I think that shot last week against Sevilla. I think it was Sevilla. About a 30, 30, 35 yard screamer went wider the mark. If that had gone in, we might have been having a different different conversation, potentially because that can paper over some of the cracks that are starting to form. But for me, you know, I've seen it play out long enough now. There's no semblance of confidence, of ability. And how how does he get away with it, I suppose, is the question I'm trying to ask here. Like, Arteta is usually quite a, a cutthroat, astute manager, as we just said. And usually, if he doesn't have players performing to the level that he expects, they'll be hooked. And it's either... There's two ways you can look at this. It's either... That whatever he's doing is pleasing Arteta and he is doing the right things. And I don't have a football brain enough to see it. Totally plausible, that one, of course. 
And the second is that he, he's, he's bet on the horse and he needs it to win. 65 million is a big bet and you, you want it to come off. Nobody wants you to be that manager that spent that amount of money in fear of failure, of it not working out. But at the moment, I just can't see it heading in any direction. Like your gut will tell you, I think, of the way that you think this is heading. And I don't think it's heading to anything good. Case closed from Greta. Bang. Down. There's a few things in that. I mean, the first thing you made me think of, I haven't even thought about. Reminds me very much of the William situation when we had William for that season from Chelsea. Obviously, it didn't cost 65 million, but he was a big, big free transfer because we offered him big wages and he signed a three year deal. We gave him a three year deal on big money. Um, and that was because Arteta you know, had a plan and knew what he wanted to do with him. And he was absolutely awful. And we were so lucky that he was unhappy as well. And he just went, cut the contract, I'm going. That was such a big win for us, that William situation. And we're not going to get that situation with Kai Havertz, but it's starting to feel very similar. Like, because then, do you remember every time he came, came off the bench or we started, like, I'll make Spence go playing with 10 men again? Um, yeah. Like, I, I don't think it's quite that bad with Havertz, but the challenge is that. So I looked at this and I was thinking about this. I've been the last two games in the ground. So I've seen him play all the 90 minutes and he was obviously hooked early in Burnley. Did he do anything wrong in either of those games? Not really. Did he play the role that he needed to play, make the passes, be involved in some of the transitions? Well, yeah, he did everything safe, very calm, very calculated. A couple of nice touches with his feet. But that's what's, the problem is, that's what I expect from Arsenal midfield. He wasn't doing what Odegaard was doing, where he was finding those beautiful cut-through passes with the eye of a needle in the number eight role. He wasn't doing that. He's not getting assists. He's not scoring goals. Um, the header against Sevilla was topped off by another header against Burnley, which was maybe not quite as... E well, it wasn't quite as easy as the header against Sevilla, but it was still awful. Um... And so, like, is he doing what he needs to do? Yes, I guess. If I, like, if there's just a very basic job, like a fundamental and non-negotiable, as Mikel would say, but a fundamental, is he probably doing that? Yeah, but that's fine. You can bring in a player at thirty million and expect them to do that. From his, it's the problem for me really is the price tag. It's sixty-five million. You know, Odegaard was okay. Odegaard, I don't know how you we got away with what we paid for him, but we did. It was like 35 to 40 million, and we get one of the top three or four players in the league, in my opinion, when he's on form. I, I, and, I suppose you've had this argument. We don't get that with Havertz. We get nothing, sorry, we get nothing special from him. We get no amazing cutting edge balls, we get no finished product. Like we just get someone who's there to be in. He's like Declan, but not as good. Like he's there, like because Dec, you know, do, do you get what I'm saying? Like Declan isn't there to put a show on for us. Declan's there to do a job, but he does it very, very well. He's like yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. You, you, you know, uh, you pay a lot of money for Declan, and Declan does his job that he's paid to do. But like, I, okay, we've had this debate plenty of times, not just me and you, but 
universally in pundits in commentary you know they don't i don't ask to be paid 65 million pounds for you know the price tag that came with me is not for me to determine that's for the market to determine and so play we do get quite hooked on the ideation that you know the price tag is what we expect to kind of get out of it if you the thing is i think if you just put that to the side i still am like it's not enough the position that he's playing in, the things that you should be asking him to do, connecting that midfield to the attack. Yeah, exactly. And like, I, you know, it's just still not. It's funny, actually, because if you look back, I think there was a time when we were likely going to sign Tielemans, right? He would have been on a free. I mean, he's not even getting into the Leicester side at this point in time. And um, Leicester, Villa side, sorry. Leicester. Used to play for Leicester. Yeah. yeah. Um, but like I say, maybe you reflect upon that and say, well, maybe that wasn't the right signing either. But he was he was on a Bosman, right? And he would have either been free or somewhere close to like 10, 15 million. Maybe we wouldn't be splitting as many hairs if we pay that much for Kai Havertz. Hi, it's the problem. And this is now the question, right? Because we need Douglas Louise probably in January. I think that's realistic. We might go back there. We've been there once. He's playing great for us getting him. He's now been paid and well, got a new deal. Yeah, I I know, I know, but that's the kind of player that we wanted, and now we still want. But we spent the money on habits. Well, that's what I'm saying. We paid like Trossard didn't seem to be. Trossard wasn't the player we wanted. You know, Trossard was the player that we fell back to once Madrid failed. But twenty twenty eight million or whatever we paid for Trossard is incredible business for the output that we are getting from that player. You, we can't belittle or bemoan twenty eight million for that that kind of return. That's the problem. I think if we had got another player because Arteta couldn't get who he wanted to get, it sounds like to us he wanted Havertz and would then just go, how much do you want for him? And they went 65 million. You went, yeah, cool. Done. Rather than be like, I'll give you 40. And usually we're quite, um, we, you know, we're, we're proper, we're pretty uh, Sunday car boot with our, our signings. Usually, I, I think Rice was the one that's transformed that a little bit, but usually we're trying to scrimp and save on any opportunity we can get, it feels here that they, they set an asking price and we paid it immediately. Like it was something like you were paying for like Messi or Ronaldo, like, oh, of course, I'm just going to pay that. We haven't got any of that output. So I'm still, I'm just, I feel that like we're just going to be here next week. Well, obviously not because it's the international break. Uh, in two weeks time, we'll be having the same conversation because you'll start against uh, Brentford. He'll be missing against Brentford. I don't want to say it, but it's the elephant in the room. Well, if Odegaard's not fit and Fabio's got a red, he's still playing, my friend. Yeah, yeah. Okay, both of us are, are close. Jason's not as close to me on the edge, uh, but he's he's edging his way there like a tiny little worm uh, in his pink. Uh, I think you're in a wormy colour, Jason. Um, right, right, let's get into the parking lot. There's something I wanted to ask, and I didn't want Jace to kind of ruin it in the, the preamble that we talked about before the pod, which was uh, I read a lot online of the discourse um, with our, our fan base and the atmosphere in the Emirates. And uh, we have talked on this pod a few times previously about a lot of the contributing factors to why we think that might be. But firstly, before I get into any of that, I wanted to ask Jace, being in the ground, and he obviously went a lot last evening as well, What's the difference? Are you seeing a difference? Does it feel any different to you at the moment? And is it as bad as people are making it out to be? It's not It's not as bad as people are making it out, but it's also not as good as it was last year. But also, the situation is different than last year. 
last year we were on top the whole season. The whole, like from 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 the moment go, we were trying to preserve all season our top spot every game until we got to the crunch point where we got injuries and everything went. And as fans, that was an end that brought energy to the ground. It was something to fight for. There was something there that we did not want to see let slip. And that energy that was created as a result, that for me, you know, the game against Bournemouth for the Reese Nelson goal, the comeback against Southampton where we drew three all, uh, the game at Christmas West Ham was a great game that we went to. Um, like there, there, there were so many games that we went to last year, and and there was something to fight for because we we were we were knew we were being chased by City. And like when you're when you're fighting to survive, you know, fight or fight, you 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 know that adrenaline kicks in, and I think that it kicks in in all of us, and. We don't have that same situational circumstance this season. This season, we are learning from as a team. They're learning from their mistakes. We've said this that we, if we go out all guns blazing and try and smash it, then we are going to fall off a cliff at some point during the season. So what we're trying to do is control the games, take the points where we can get them, build up this point tally, and make sure in the last two months when it really gets serious we've got players fit we've got players coming into form and then you watch that energy go back up to where it was guaranteed that's what i think is going to happen genuinely i think that's what's going to happen i think it is how we're approaching the teams approaching the season it's how how it's impacting us as fans the only other thing obviously is i still truly believe the ballot has has a difference um the way that your people are allocated where they're seated sitting um people not being in their usual spaces you know i sat in the upper tier of the clock end for severe i haven't sat there in a long long time um you said uh yesterday on saturday uh me and my friend spence we were separated we got tickets in the ballot we got two tickets who went in but we, we got given two individual tickets so we were sat approximately the same block but he was like six rows in front of me and like right across the other side uh, uh, of, of the block and so we went together um i was sat by the um i always forget the name of the fan group the name of the fan group the astro and army that's the one i was sat right almost right in with them um i'm gonna say lads love the effort love the effort make the drum a bit quieter my ears bloody hell um <laughs> I'll have your cake and eat it, Jace. <laughs> yeah, I know. But um yeah, uh that's like that's the challenge. I think that people that that ha- it does have an impact a little bit on the atmosphere. That's the one thing mm. I still think it does. Um and because if you've got people that were going to games every game last year, no matter come off fair, and now there's something as we said, we haven't been able to get tickets for every game. We missed City, we missed uh United, we missed Spurs. We'd have gone all three of those. Easy. Um so United. All right, mate. Yeah. <laughs> you 
you tell was it was it loud, Greg? Was it a loud game? It was really loud. Yeah, yeah. Uh, James, don't don't go in on my autistic son, please. Honestly. Um, <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> um, um, I, I so I kind of agree with everything you've you've said. It's really weird though, because like you know, Ashburn Army only had their allocation cut by uh, a very small percentage. You know, they've lost a few seats, and their allocation compared to the entirety of the stadium is something like less than zero point five percent. So they account for less than 0.5% of the stadium. So they can't be as a major contribution factor as people are playing them out to be. And secondly, I'm just visually looking at it. It was about the 80 80 to 85th minute. The amount of empty seats was incredible. Now I can, if it was a midweek, if it was a midweek Champions League game or maybe a 5.30 Saturday game or an away game where it's Newcastle, Man United or something where it's difficult, I'm kind of like, I agree with you. And kind of think it's like, yeah, we've done it before. We might leave five minutes before the end because we got to get a train back to where we live, or we got to drive back, and it's late. You don't get home till one, two o'clock in the morning. It's three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. Like for me, and I find it incredible because, like I say, I'd snap your hand off if I could get to go to that game. Didn't get a ticket, and there are a lot of people like me that used to go. Like we would go to probably between ten and fifteen games a season. Pretty much any game we could go to, we would go to. And this year we're doing about half of that, and it is just really. I, I, the one thing I will say, the allocation that goes to red and silver members is only like 3,000 tickets. It's not a lot of tickets. So they can't really be as big a contributing factor as people are making it out to be. The same 45,000 season ticket holders that Arsenal have are in the ground week in, week out. And that there has to be something done there that that portion of fans are not as engaged as they have been, potentially. I... I mean, I've already said, but I think it is. I think the only thing to say was that the I noticed that the upper tier and the club level they were more empty, not just at the eighty fifth, eighty sixth minute, but generally throughout the game. And those generally are the seats that are more empty. And the thing that just bugs me is that it's not on the exchange. None of it's on the exchange. Well, we had this because we were like, I looked at our tickets. You can't sell our tickets on the exchange. Why not? I, don't, I just don't understand why. Because you always used to put a ticket on the exchange. Now you can't. Oh, sorry, you can't, like, oh, so you can't. You can't transfer them. I think it depends on the certain type of tickets. Like season oh, tickets. Oh, you put it on the exchange, but you can't transfer. Yeah. 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 So you, I think season tickets you can transfer to someone else, but you can't yeah, sell you can. them. Yeah, and that that's correct. So I, I've got a ticket for Lons that's transferred from my friend who's got a season ticket. Um, yeah. But any tickets that we get, we can only put back on the exchange. But either way, people aren't putting tickets on the exchange. Uh, there, there are empty seats in the ground, and there are not tickets on the exchange because. I mean, I still, trust me. Yeah, I've been I'm, looking. Yeah, I, I still find it incredible that we can't do something about it. This is why I always found a bit weird about the ballot system. I never got it because it's like you can see who's buying tickets. It's all done online. You can see where the card they've paid for it for. If someone is buying tickets and they're not attending the game on the pass, or buying multiple tickets and then selling it like and not attending the games. There's so yeah. much AI and so much uh, automation in place that you can easily, easily sort this out. Also, the thing for me, right, it also is annoying. Like, if we we're going to go for a ballot system, fine. But if I go in for the ballot and they get a ticket, and then tickets get put on the exchange, put me in for those tickets on the exchange automatically. Don't make me have to go on the exchange, keep pressing refresh, 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 trying to find a ticket. I go, go, hey, Jason, 
Uh, we noticed you went in for this. Uh, there's a ticket. Do you want it? Yes, please. Thank you. Like, how hard is that to do? You've got the data. Yeah, got I, the I mean, I do. Yeah, like I said, I feel it's easy. Like you've just said there. The problem is, I don't think the club have any interest in whatever's easiest. Ultimately, we're still lining their money uh, in their pockets, whether we go or not. And, and as such, the atmosphere, it's when I believe that the atmosphere completely is at odds with the team performance. That's going to win it. If we're, like I sometimes say this about City. City have, have had unmatched success in recent years. Incredible seasons, you know, trebles and, and, and Champions League and Premier Leagues. It's been incredible. To get, you, we could easily get games when they've played us in the, the cup finals multiple times in the City end. They can't sell out their allocations. They're even at home games against Dortmund and Bayern in the Champions League. They don't sell out their allocation. I find it bonkers. You will never, ever, ever find an Arsenal game against a top-level European club like a Dortmund, Bayern, PSG, Real that would have tickets to, to spare. Never. Would never happen. And that's where I'm. That's what I'm saying. As long as the club are making money, I don't think they ultimately care. Yeah, and the difference also is London, right, and Manchester. Like, if you look at any other... Any other um, club in the country, actually. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say this. You'd see interests if you agree or disagree. Any other club in the country does not have the profile that Arsenal has. Not from a fan status perspective, but it's in London. You know, I'm not going to go to Manchester to watch a game on a, you know, like every, most of the stuff happens in the countries in London. Yes, Manchester, Birmingham, all big cities, with with industry but there's like a lot of like london is 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 where it's at um if people are flying in and out of the country if they want to nip in and catch a game london is the easiest place to go then you narrow it down to three clubs well two of them are in the champions league so that's quite interesting because like you know it's down where you can go that's not a dig it's just a fact this year it has been us in the past and then also um even for the Premier League games, right? Uh, the most easiest ground to get to, in my opinion, is Arsenal. It's literally two stops off in King's Cross, one of the biggest stations in the country. Spurs is is a nightmare to get to. I've been there for a Beyonce concert for my wife. It is an absolute bloody nightmare to get Hold to the stadium. Hold on, Jace. Hold on. For your wife, don't you tell me that you didn't want to go and see Beyonce. I won't be having it. All the single ladies, yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, but it's an absolute nightmare to get to, genuinely, right? Uh, so Arsenal sells, yeah. Ars- Ars- Arsenal sells. Um, it, it's it's the perfect location. Good mm-hmm. transport links, yeah. and 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 I think of all the all the teams in the country, it's the gate. It's the team that's most going to sell the most. United will as well, of course, but um, but you know, man. Yeah. Yeah. Manchester isn't London, so yeah. Right. Well, I, I I walked into this thinking it wasn't going to be a big topic, and I put the ripcord in day, uh, Jason's Beyblade, pulled it out, and watched it spin. Um, and I think he's got us both rolled up. Maybe uh, during the international break, we might come back to this as a subject because I do feel there's a lot of content and a lot of discussion to be had on that subject. Um, but yeah, uh, thank you uh, everyone for joining us. Um, a, a big big episode a big victory for arsenal heading into the international break we are one point behind leaders manchester city we next play 
uh, Brentford away from home on Saturday afternoon. So we'll be back. Uh, if we're not back between then and now, we'll be back for that game uh, for sure. Jace, if uh, they are on Spotify or on their podcast provider of choice, what do we want our audience to do? Five star, please. Uh, leave a little review if you would like to. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast feed. Um, that means that you'll get all of our valuable content as soon as it is up. Lovely stuff. And like I said already at the top of the show, if you're watching this in a visual format, we would love uh, for you to subscribe to our channel, love for you to send us a like, and love for you to comment on our videos. We will engage with every single one of you once we build this audience and community. So we'd love to have you with us. Um, until next time, thank you very much, and hopefully you have a good evening. Cheers, guys. Have a good one. Come on!